The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. Cross green. Cross. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. <laughs> Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to the 96th episode of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I'm joined as always, I guess I can say as always because it's been two weeks in a row. We're, we're real consistent right now, Zan. But I'm joined by Zandrick Ellison out in L.A., Things are not going well on either side of the country, so we decided we we're going to podcast to take to take our mind off of it. But how are you doing, Sam? Good. We won't dive into the politics because it's a nice escape from that. But if you do hear sirens going off, like there are policemen like driving around my neighborhood right now, and helicopters, and maybe maybe protesters and looters, and so that could be fun for the podcast. Do you have anything that would be of looting value in your uh, uh, home? I think um, just a lot of, you know, files, computer, computer stuff, hot takes. I've got a lot of hot takes. takes Blue Yeti microphone. They, they, that could be, in, you know, in vogue. Everybody wants to do a podcast. Some people don't maybe want to pay for the equipment. That's true. That's, that's part of this, I think. Hold on. I wanted to talk about one thing before we talked about the coaching. We we're going to do more of a coaching pod and, and talk a little bit about, you know, if guys should be fired or who should get jobs and whatnot. But did you happen to see the Dan Orlovsky, Damian Lillard, coronavirus, like, kind of online tiff, if you will, where Orlovsky was on Get Up and he said that Damian Lillard sounded like a spoiled brat because Dame said he didn't want to play unless they had a chance to win a title. Like, he didn't want to go to Disney World, play five games, and then be done. Did you, did you happen to see this? I, ref- I saw, like, quick glances at it. I didn't dig into it. So, do you think that it is fair for analysts to criticize a player like Damian Lillard in this setting. I'm just curious your opinion. Like I, I, yes. I mean, that's what they're paid to do. Right. I mean, like all these former athletes, um, when they're bad on TV, it's cause they're, you know, they're like protecting the brotherhood and like not, you know, criticizing anybody and they're just bad, um, analysts. And then sometimes you go too far and you're trying to be like the hot take artist, but you have to be honest. You have to come up with a take. It's not the most important thing in the world. I mean, no. but if somebody's asked you, you're, we're doing a segment on whether these guys should be required to play. You have to pick a side, really. And ideally, for, in a TV setting, people have opposing sides. So you have something to talk about. It's, it's interesting, right? Because Orlovsky is a football guy and he is kind of like the QB guru, I guess, on Get Up, which is, and he, he's created a, a pretty valuable personal brand for himself over the last couple of years, I think, being like the quarterback guy. But I was really surprised to hear him like take aim at Damian Lillard because like, correct me if I'm wrong, Zan, but like nobody takes aim at Damian Lillard. Like Dame is like a very protected guy. Yeah. Like love is a good word. And he is a good person, like a really good person. Like he does a ton of charitable things, like very active in the Oakland community, very active in Portland. He has the whole rap thing. Like it's, it's it's weird. It's not necessarily a battle you can't win, but if you're, you know, a marginal quarterback who's like, (laughs) Best known for like running out of the end zone. Running out of the back of the end zone, yeah. And you take on like a very popular player, like, you know, people are just going to trash you automatically for that. Um, But I I mean, what else? I I don't uh, see like the controversy here, you know? I think. Do you think Damian Lillard had a right to be angry at him? No. And actually, I I had another take on this because I saw. Did you see Paul Pierce speaking of player feuds? ranked lebron outside of his personal top five i think that was the that was the funniest graphic i've ever seen because it had i think that he moved kobe into his top five and on the bottom of the graphic it said had lebron fifth until this past week or something and it was like nothing's happened why is lebron been moved down <laughs> it's stupid obviously a stupid opinion but i saw a lot of people like reacting on social media being like what does Paul Pierce know? He he's never you know won three championships. He's not a top ten player. He has no right to come up. I'm like, if Paul Pierce doesn't have a right to have an opinion on LeBron, like why do we have a right to have an opinion about yeah, Paul that's Pierce? Very true. That's so I like mean, Dan Orlowski might not have been a great quarterback. He certainly knows more about sports than ninety nine percent of people criticizing him. Yeah, I think that 
right now ESPN and, and a lot of news outlets are very much struggling for content. And it was very, you know, the last dance like helped them out and they could show a bunch of stuff with Michael Jordan and, you know, there's some golf back and hockey's coming back in. The NBA said hopefully July 31st, but it might be a little bit before, a little bit after whatever. But I, I do think like the list culture is very hard to quantify. And a guy like Paul Pierce, I wouldn't exactly claim that he's a good analyst, but I do think that Pierce along with like guys like Jalen Rose and Kendrick Perkins, I think they understand to like Pierce, I just think doesn't like LeBron. And I think he knows that you can push that because LeBron's such a needle mover and like Pierce played a ton against LeBron and actually has an okay record against him. I think he's like six and eight in the playoffs maybe, which is like pretty reasonable against LeBron. That could be wrong. I'm not sure off the top of my head, but I think Pierce just knows like that's the best way to stay relevant in a, in uh, the NBA like social media culture, which just tends to run wild. So if yeah. you do that, Pierce knows that like he gives a lot of weird takes. But you've heard the story before about him making like an undra- a, a guy in for a workout at the Wizards take off LeBron's. Like that was a big deal for him of being like a rival to LeBron. Well, and I I think I think it's a little more genuine than you. Like when Paul Pierce was playing LeBron, like they were better than the Cavs um, until and they actually upset the Cavs. Um, one year when the Cavs are favored and then LeBron goes to Miami and like forms a super team that's better than their super team. Yeah. I think that bothered Paul Pierce. I agree with that. But also I think it's genuine in this sense. Like when Paul Pierce was playing LeBron James as a younger guy who hadn't won a title, I think Paul Pierce probably thought he was better than LeBron James. I think that's genuine. And even if it might be slightly delusional, but that's the delusion that you need is like an athlete. Um, And so I I don't think like, I, I think he's like, I've seen this guy. I've beaten this guy. I don't think I'm much different, you know, athletically they probably are, but, um, he had good success against LeBron. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like that, that team in general, like was well built to stop LeBron because you have a bulky forward and Paul Pierce and you have two big guys who can kind of keep the control of the paint and LeBron struggled against them relatively. And I, and I think too, a lot of things that this actually is a good segue into this coach's discussion that you're going to lay out for us, but one of the things like when I was younger and, you know, a graduate assistant or a manager in college and I was talking to assistant coaches or guys that I would network with, it's like, as a guy who was not a former player at a super high level, there are things that you'll never know, right? Like there are, there are things that like, I will never know that a former player will know very easily because they play. And so with Paul Pierce, I wonder like, he guarded Kobe. Like what if Kobe was a tougher cover for Paul Pierce? Like, so, so his personal experience is that it actually was tougher for him and for his, let's just say the Lakers or or, or for the Celtics, excuse me, to play against Kobe Bryant than it was LeBron James. And now he's bearing the lead a little bit when you've got like Michael Jordan ranked and magic Johnson, because obviously he didn't play them. But if you're specifically saying like, okay, Kobe's five and LeBron six, Paul Pierce's experience might be that Kobe was a better player when he played against him. And that's very hard, I think, for Paul Pierce to probably eliminate in his mind, right? Like if you well, and also Kobe's older, so he came in probably Paul when Pierce Kobe was like, better, yeah, right. And he's he's from LA too, and, and that might part, play a part of it. Yeah, Paul um, Pierce is what Inglewood, right? But you know, this this general truth that I think um, I think is accurate. They say like your favorite things of all time, like your favorite band of all time, your favorite athlete of all time favorite actor of all time are things that from when you were in high school. So like for me, I'm like, who's the best actor? I'm like, Oh, Russell Crowe's the best actor. I'm like, he was really good when I was in high school, you know? Um, And then I, you know, I, I can't, I, I still look at him that way. And same with like, they say that about like SNL cast, like your favorite Saturday night live cast was when you're ever, you were in high school and like, Oh, I loved, you know, Sandler and Farley or whatever it was. Um, and you tend not to look at the things of your day as the current day is as good as that. Do you agree with that? Like, what's your favorite band of all time or your favorite musician of all time? I don't know. I'm not a music guy. Your favorite like movie you, of all time. Yeah, I would say like movie is a good one. Like, I don't know, probably like Argo, I think, or Remember the Titans, which was Remember the Titans and Cool Runnings. Remember were the two- Titans. Well, let's test it. Like, so Remember the Titans is a good example because it's not like the greatest movie of all time, but it's no. a good movie. Came out in 2000. So how old were you in 2000? 12. 11. Okay. So, okay. So maybe you're a little more mature than most, but I think that's about accurate. Like I think Gladiator came out when I was probably around high school. I used to love Gladiator. And I would say like movies that like when I was in high school were like really big deals, like 
Lord of the Rings, right? Like there's probably a lot of people that I grew up with that are big, like Lord of the Rings, like two towers, Lord of the Rings, return of the King fans. Cause those were huge movies. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking it might not be, maybe it's just childhood. Maybe we should make it more um, broad. Cause I'm like, I bet there's a lot of people whose favorite books are Harry Potter. Cause they read them as a kid. And if they read now, they read, you know, some like the, you know, some advanced book that just came out. It might be a better book, but they don't look at it in the same way with that same sense of nostalgia. Let's do this. Let's do this. Who who's your favorite athlete? And and my like, favorite athlete is Frank Thomas. Because, but I was a kid again. Yeah, yeah. I, like that. That's what I think. Like Randy Johnson is like my favorite baseball player, and like I saw Randy Johnson pitch when I was like six, and I saw him pitch when I was like fourteen. You know what I mean? Like those things really matter to you. But now I don't really have a, I mean, do you have a favorite player in the NBA or the NFL right now? No. No. Although I'm always surprised by that, like the older fan who's still like super diehard. Like I, I tend to think of your prime as a fan is like when you're 14 or 15 and you don't really have anything else to do, but root for your favorite team and like watch TV. Like when you're, you know, 30 or 40 or 50, you presumably have things to do in life. I'll give you a real good example of this. Steven Strasburg is my favorite current athlete. Like, I, I just love the Nats. You know this. We've talked about this. The reason being is that, like, in 2014, or I'm sorry, in 2011, when he came up, I'm a senior in college, I drove down. My brother and I got tickets to his debut. And, like, he just became a guy that I really, really followed. And, like, he just was someone that was, like, important to me because I feel like I've seen so many of his starts. But it was, like, a great day with my brother. Like, we had a bunch of beers, like watched him strike out 14 Pirates. And then, like, you know, you just carry that through. And he's been on the Nationals my you know, he's been on the Nationals pretty much always since they've been good and they're not that old of a team. Like he's probably the only athlete I really care about his performance. Right. And that's because of one specific moment in my life. Right. Yeah. Like, that's part of it. Like I was young, I was a senior in college, I think. And you just like, remember stuff like that. It's important to you. Right. And I think when you're younger, you idolize people in a way that you don't when you're an adult and you're jaded. And so I think for Paul Pierce to get back to the topic, it's easy for him to love I don't know if you love Michael Jordan, but I could see him growing up and loving Michael Jordan and thinking Kobe was the guy that he wanted to be like. And then somebody coming in after you, you're not going to have that same sort of reverence for it. Yeah, and I do think too, this is where I think like, I always respect guys like Paul Pierce. I think like Kendrick Perkins is a little out there and he kind of has the clutch sports like love. And this isn't supposed to be like, let's talk about broadcasters or whatnot. But like, I do think there's probably a group of people that are in Paul Pierce's sort of I don't know if demographics, the right word, like just Paul Pierce's sort of like era of like when he was good and he played with the Celtics for most of his prime. He was decent on the nets for a little while and had a good run with like the wizards or whatever, but that are probably upset that like LeBron got anointed right away. Right. Like he didn't have to wait his turn. Like the second he made the playoffs, like they had the witness campaign and like, he, you know, he was still getting beat by people and he had the big 2007 where they played San Antonio or whatever. But like, I wonder if like, that's part of it too. And like LeBron, or, like Paul Pierce will just never give that up. Like he'll just never say LeBron is as good as people think he is because he just didn't have to earn it like a guy like Paul Pierce did, having to like stay in Boston and endure a bunch of losing seasons, getting passed up in the draft, like getting, you know, getting stabbed a bunch of times and then finally winning a title. Like I, I wonder if like that goes into it too, that, you know, I, LeBron has certainly earned everything that has come to him now. Like there's no question about that. But I wonder if there's part of Paul Pierce that he'll just never be able to get over that. That like well, you said. Also, Paul Pierce, I just looked up the timeline. So he went to Kansas starting in 95 and he stayed for three years. So he, I don't know if he came in as like a surefire NBA guy, but he, he's a McDonald's I, all American. Okay. But by the end, you know, you stay three years, you're getting serious about basketball. You're becoming a pro. And then, so Kobe was in just entering the NBA when he was in college and became a big star and became an all-star. Maybe they grew up together. Maybe they played in the same, like, you know, high school circuits. I don't know. I mean, they could have played each other in AAU, but obviously Kobe was in Pennsylvania and Paul Pierce was in California. Yeah. But like, you know, seeing him be an all-star before he had entered the NBA, I think gives him sort of the respect that he didn't have for LeBron, LeBreezy. And like part of it is just Paul Pierce's personality. Like Jalen Rose gets on there and he spits all this like kind of contrarian stuff sometimes. And people really like it because they think he's real. And, well, you saw you saw that in the last dance, not to cut you off, but they're like Gary Payton. He's like, I thought I guarded Jordan well, like John Stockton. Like, I'm not afraid of the Bulls. I thought we were equal to the Bulls. Like, the, if you're in the moment, you you that mythology kind of like dies out a little bit. And and part of that is kind of where we are in media now, right? Like, it, it'd be great to see guys like 
getting on TV and really breaking things down. And I actually think to pull it full circle, like that's one of the things I, I don't necessarily agree with all of Dan Orlovsky's takes, but they get him in front of the board and he talks about quarterbacks, first, second, third reads. And it's very interesting to see, right. We don't see Paul Pierce the NBA doesn't do that. Right. Like nobody gets in front of the board and like draws things up. They just spit like takes about their time in the league or stuff that they think about based on, you know, is Damian Lillard a spoiled brat? Like it's, it's kind of weird in terms of how the NBA chooses to market itself with like 30 second clips rather than guys really getting up and, and demonstrating like, Hey, this is why this happens. Cause I guarantee you Paul Pierce's basketball mind is vast. Like it's probably really impressive. You don't play 20 years in the NBA without being able to do that, but you also don't play 20 years in the NBA without thinking you're the best. I think if you're Paul Pierce, not as like a number one option. Well, and it's also a media thing. Like I've probably said this on the podcast before, but there's this, Norm McDonald. Did I ever talk about the Norm McDonald like take on the news media? Maybe. Maybe. I'll repeat it. So Norm was like ranting and he was saying, you know, like back in my day, like, um, you know, when he was a kid, like the news was, you know, on at six o'clock and it was six to six thirty, you know, like the nightly news. It's like all the news in the world, 30 minutes, you know, catch you up. And it's like, now they have like CNN, it's like 24 hour news, you know, like we'll, we'll spread it out over 24 hours. And he's like, turns out like 30 minutes is about right. You know, like that's how much news there is in a day. Um, unless there's something like this going on now, but like in general, and especially in the sports world, there's not 24 hours worth of news. There's probably so 20 minutes worth of news. It's so bad, especially right now. Like, I mean, it's, it'd be, it'd be interesting to talk about J.R. Smith, like beating up a looter or like, you know, Jalen Brown and those guys. Malcolm Brogdon going down and actually peacefully protesting like that stuff is very good to talk about, but it's also incredibly hard to have that conversation, which is why you and I are going to talk about. Yeah. We have to fill coaches time are too. doing a good job. <laughs> well, I'll give you a choice. Cause we maybe we went along with your little rambling. Um, yeah, it's, fun to ramble. it's fun to ramble. So would you rather talk about the negative side, which is the, has been the best coach this year or which coaches deserve to be fired? You, it's your choice. Dealer's choice as the coaching guru. Let's go for blood. Okay. I will say, Something I found, an interesting stat, just to reference the other thing. Did you know the average coach of the year winner? Have you, did you remember this? I don't know if you read this. They, they like, their team is like 14 games better than their preseason expectations. That's what I was going to ask you. Preseason expectations, they beat their preseason expectations by about 13 games, which is pretty impressive, you know, because these over-unders factor in, so, you know, every factor, like lebron and, and anthony davis on the lakers how good are they going to be and they still overachieved that by like 14 or 15 wins it's pretty a mess let's do this really quick why don't you give your who do you think did the best job not who do you think is going to win coach of the year but why don't you give you the three coaches because you look into this a lot like who do you think what three coaches do you think did the best job this season well i'll give you based on the stat of the idea of and also the same stat like if you look at year to year turnaround which is another way to win coach of the year um, it's just about the same, actually, about 13 win difference. Um, according to that stat, the people who I'll give you the list and then my pick the the people who have beaten their over unders by the most adjusted for pace, you know. Can I guess real quick? Sure. How many are there? Well, there's. I wrote down seven, but you can tell me give me the top five. Let's see if you can guess the top five. All right, Memphis for sure. Taylor Jenkins for sure. Yeah, Memphis is third. Taylor Jenkins expected to win 27. They're, they're on pace to win 40 games if the season was 82 games. Okay, I'm going to assume Miami. Miami is close. He's number seven. They were projected to win 43 games. They have won. They're on pace to win 51. 52. Okay. Oh, Toronto, for sure. Nick Nurse, for sure. Toronto is fourth. Expected to win 46. They're on pace to win 59 games. Yeah, that's really impressive. Wow, that's that's really good. Uh, I'm going to guess Dallas? Dallas is number six. They're expected to win 40. They're on pace to win 49. Oh, Oklahoma City's got to be one. Yeah, you're right. The Oklahoma City, because it was a weird year. You know, like no one really knew what to expect. They were projected to only win 32 because some people thought they might blow it up. And they're on pace to win 51, a plus 18 difference, the highest. Frank Vogel's number two, 50 projection. They're on pace to win 64. I guess I didn't think about that, that they are, they just played so well. Like they were projected to win 50 games, but they played really well. And then I would say my personal pick, I wouldn't say Billy Donovan, even though that's the biggest difference. Cause that's actually a good team. If you look at the team, we talked about that. Remember, like we yeah. were terrified to pick them in the over under draft. Cause it was like, well, what if they don't decide to win? But if they try to win, like they're a pretty good team, like middle of the pack in the West. 
Yeah, I think Taylor Jenkins has an argument because they're in the playoffs right now, but I would go with Nick Nurse. I mean, you lose Kai, Kawhi Leonard, you, you're on pace to win 59 games with the team that's left over. It's amazing. Yeah, and they've actually, I, I would say, the East kind of just gets credited as like the Bucks, right? It's the Bucks, And everybody talks about the Sixers because like they've got Embiid and that's a big thing. And then everyone talks about Brad Stevens, but like Toronto has like statistically played, I think they have the fourth best SRS. Like I, I think they're, there, I'm, I, I was like doing the math and I'm like, and look, these over-unders are not the best way to judge. No, of course not. If you're a great coach, they expect you to, to be a great coach and win a lot of games. But even with that, Toronto, I mean, they're second in defense. Like I, I had told you, I'm quietly talking myself into them maybe beating the box just because, you know, they can play these two guards who could shoot. You have a ton of length, Siakam and Gasol and Ibaka and OG's really long and Powell's playing well. I think that's the biggest surprise to me. Um, I don't know. It's like they really, what, how, what does this mean to like Kawhi Leonard is the best player in the NBA's argument? The fact that Toronto currently has a better record than the Clippers. Right. And they've missed like 15 games of Fred Van Vliet. Lowry's missed double digit games. Ibaka's missed double digit games. Siakam's missed double digit games. Like, you know who's played the most games for the Toronto Raptors this year? It is, no. So they have played, what, 64 games? And they have one person who has played in 64 games. That is Terrence Davis, undrafted rookie from Ole Miss, who's a very good player. We've talked about him a little bit, but like, that's another thing, like being able to get guys and plug and play them. I think, like I said, if I think we know Nick Nurse is a good coach, uh, I think Vogel deserves a lot of credit because I think the situation he came into was just so tenuous. Like, you, if they started slow, like he was going to get fired and Jason Kidd was going to be the coach right away, and he's done a really good job. LeBron's really happy. Anthony Davis is playing well. LeBron's playing well. Like, you're pretty sure they're going to finish like one and three in the MVP voting or two and three or something like that. I, I don't know that I'd buy that, but I think Vogel has done a really good job. I really think that Eric Spolstra has done a really good job just in terms of like them integrating Jimmy Butler into their culture and, and signal and like sort of strategically being like, okay, this is a guy that fits exactly what we do and changing how they play for him. Nurse has done a really good job. I'm trying to think of who else. I had another thought. As I was curious to you as like a coaching guru, like, do you think somebody like, Buttonholzer gets underrated in this kind of argument because definitely, yeah. They I mean, they actually projected to win sixty seven games, which is about ten more than the over under. And it's not like you know because there's no new pieces really, but they lost Malcolm Brogdon. You know, you would expect some natural regression, and they just get better and better. I mean, I think coaches of really good teams get penalized every year, just like I think really good players get penalized every year. Like you're more likely to win MVP going from like the 10th best player to the fourth best player than you are being the best player in the league back to back right. years. I agree it's like with that. How many, how many coach of the year titles did like Greg Popovich deserve or Phil Jackson deserve? And it's like, instead you see guys that win it and then they just get fired because they had one or two really good years. They're not able to sustain the expectations that they set for themselves. And then they get fired and recycled, which is also fine. But like, We've seen coaches do this. It seems to me that Nick Nurse is really, really good. How about that? You know, is that fair to say? Like whether or not he wins Coach of the Year or not, it seems to me like Nick Nurse is awesome. Like that's. Well, these great. are all. I would say all of them are very. I mean, the jury's still out on whether Frank Vogel will last forever in, in the, with the Lakers. We'll see how they do. Right. In the playoffs, and, and, but and Bud is on his second team. Like he was good with the Hawks, and probably. I, I mean, I don't. He did win the Coach of the Year once for the Hawks. Too. Right. Exactly. And now he's with the Bucks, and he happens to have a better team now. Like that's the thing. Like. He's still coaching similarly. I read something very funny about how the Bucks are just the the Rockets, but people like them. Like they don't have James Harden, so like people don't hate him because Giannis drives the ball instead of taking step back threes. But this is like it shows sort of my. Whenever we talk about who should this team hire as the next coach, who should this team hire? Should be Mark Jackson or Van Gundy or you know, Calipari. It's like look at these coaches that are considered the best coaches in the league for the most part. Budenholzer was just like an assistant. He got first hired and Nick Nurse, like a respected assistant, like the, Taylor Jenkins. No one knew outside of your podcast. Well, the Raptors also, by the way, took a shot on Nick Nurse. Like he was on staff. Like he was, they knew him. Like he was their, he was their D league coach. Then he was on Dwayne Casey's staff. And they were like, hey, this is a guy that's, it's the same thing with like Golden State, I think, knowing like, all right, Steve Kerr is the guy that we want, even though you're pretty good without Steve Kerr, we can be really good with him. And I think that's the Raptors deserve credit for that. Like kind Absolutely. of. Jerry Krause, you know, knowing that like Phil Jackson, thinking Phil, he probably got lucky with Phil Jackson because then he then he did Tim Floyd and that didn't work out. So like it's fine, but like I think 
if you well, all these organizations tend to make better decisions on people they know. Like Masai is like, I've seen Dwayne Casey for three years. I've seen Nick Nurse as his assistant. I work with them every day. I see him in the building every day. I, I have a good um, opinion on which of the two is better. I mean, it's the same thing like with the with the Heat. Remember when they hired Eric Spolster, people were like, how are they hiring this guy? Like, how are they going to fire Stan Van Gundy, a respected guy who's been really, really good and hire Eric Spolster? And it's been really good. Like they were confident in his ability to run the team and do what they need him to do. And they've, I mean, we can argue the LeBron side or not, but even without LeBron, they've been better than we've expected most years. Have they not? Yes. I mean, you certainly make good decisions based on that. And like, not to jump ahead, but like Brooklyn Nets are going to hire a coach probably. And there's a debate about whether it would be Ty Lue, which seems like the obvious choice. Cause you know, Kyrie's played under him. And like, should they ask Kyrie? I'm like, Absolutely. Like Kyrie like knows a lot about Ty Lue a lot better than you would by meeting him for a three hour interview. Like the guy played under him for two years. That's always been one of the biggest issues. I think in any sort of profession is people take the interview way more seriously than they take like experience and recommendations. And like, it's great. You want to be blown away and you want to try to win the press conference. And there are certainly guys that come in and I think I remember in the NFL, like, correct me if I'm wrong, because you are a really good encyclopedia on coaches, but do you remember, like, when Raheem Morris got hired for, like, the Bucs? It was kind of, like, out of left field, right? Like, he was a defensive backs coach, I think, for the Vikings, is that right? No, he was on the staff. He was Oh, right, but they gave him an interview, and they were, like, blown away by him. Like, he was amazing, killed the interview. And then, like, it's not like he wasn't a good coach, he just... He was a bad coach. He was a bad coach, yeah. It's like... He just wasn't ready. He's supposed to be a good guy, but it was, like... A lot of times it's a copycat league in both sports. And and Raheem Morris was hired. He was a DB coach. It was Mike Tomlin. Very young. Right? Yeah. Like on the heels of Mike Tomlin having success. And I think they were just really worried about losing him to somewhere else, you know, even as a defensive coordinator, maybe. And in the same way that it's not a race thing. It's like, hey, Freddie Kitchens, the the Browns were really worried about losing this hot rising assistant so we have to make him head coach to keep him right and that's why mike tomlin like got hired at the same thing was like they said he wowed the interview so like the bucks go in there and they're like all right we can get this the next mike tomlin and i think like i i just think it's the same thing like people think rick carlisle should be fired and he's done an awesome job this year dallas has the number one offense in the league with luca obviously being an amazing player but not a great roster beyond him and like those kind of seasoned coaches that have been in for a while like we're, we're seeing that consistency is a big deal you know, if you don't well, have yeah. LeBron, I guess. And also you made the point, people. like outside recommendations, like whenever I'm hiring somebody for work, I ask somebody who's worked with them. Cause I'm like, I met this guy for five or lady for five, 10 minutes, whatever, a couple hours. Somebody's worked with them for, for four months. They, they know them inside and out and their work ethic and everything else. Or if you're setting up two people on a date or you're interested in dating somebody, Ask somebody who knows the person. Don't ask based on like their, you know, your quick interaction with them on Tinder. Um, well, that's been one of the biggest problems I think in like college coaching is like people call you and they ask for your recommendations, and if somebody is not terrible, you just tell them they're good. Yeah, and legally so, you're supposed to say that. I, I think you're not allowed to bash people legally, but I, I've always found that like people don't want to hire people that they don't know. Like that's a big deal because they don't want to take the leap in trust. But if you trust your network and you trust people to give you really good recommendations. But the problem is everybody just calls for people now, you know, Zan, like, it's just like, oh yeah, like I'm going to talk to, if Cal calls and says like, this guy's good, then I'm just going to hire him because John Calipari said he's good. And then that starts burning you over and over again. And then people stop taking it seriously because like you, like you said, like you need to trust that. And I think in the NBA, they do an okay job of that. I would say. I, I, I would say the NBA coaching hires have gotten smarter and smarter and smarter. Yeah, I would agree with that too. Whereas I think some other leagues have not done that great. And, and baseball, I don't think matters. Like baseball, you need somebody who can manage the clubhouse. So I think you really just need to know, is this guy a good person? And will he listen to me? Right? Like the whole Dave Roberts thing in the, with the Dodgers, it's pretty clear that he listens. He doesn't get paid a ton and he really can't screw up too much, even though he still does screw things up sometimes. But like in football, you're exactly right. Like people just copy and they don't realize why it worked in one place. And then they fail. The NBA doesn't seem to work quite like that anymore. Well, and also like, and I would say this, which is surprising maybe for most fans, I think general managers have gotten a lot smarter. Um, They're more analytics based, of course, and they're, they're making less like, you know, risky, dumb decisions. Like they're not like, you know, paying Jerome James a lot of money. Some, you'll still see it sometimes. And certainly that one cap spike year was like that. But in general, I think NBA teams 
are in agreement on which players are good or bad. Like, like my question to you, I think would be like of this year, there's going to be some coaches that get fired and there's going to be, you know, like Mike D'Antoni is probably not going to get his contract renewed. Like how quickly does he get another job if he wants one? There are good coaches that could very well be available that I think, because like I said, I, you know, I think Kenny Atkinson is good. Yeah. Like, that That's crazy that he got fired. I mean, it could be a personality issue, but he, he did a great job. And I think like, that's always what you need to weigh with specific teams, especially when we start to talk about this for the last, like, you know, 15 to 30 minutes of the show, when guys are going to get fired, it's like, what of the situation didn't work for them? And what about their next situation can be better. Right. So like with Buttonholzer, let's just use Buttonholzer, for example, the Hawks were really good, right? They had a very good team, but Joe Johnson is probably going to end up being a pretty historically underrated player, right? And prime Al Horford and prime Paul Millsap were good, but they didn't have a superstar. And to play the style that he wants to play, you really need LeBron or you really need Giannis. You need a guy like that, right? Because even the Rockets, they have James Harden. He's a superstar and they're still struggling to win the title. And and I think that like now with Bud, is it Bud a way better coach or does he just have the one foundational guy that you need to win a title. Same with Nick Nurse. Like, do we get a chance to see if Nick Nurse is really good without Kawhi? I don't know. Because if Nick Nurse wins 43 games last year, maybe we're not as impressed. But I think those I think guys... have seen it, though. Yeah, I mean, we have now. Good. We have now. But he he also got, like, total buy Nick Nurse is good. Nick Nurse is different. I mean, there's no denying that. All right, so let me ask you this, because you are a coach. You understand these guys. You understand was their situations. Was a coach. Um, you might get hired. There's, there's rumors that Just you call might get me hired Mike Lombardi. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give you seven teams that might hire, fire their coach. You tell me whether they should or not. Okay. All right. Are we assu- really quick? Cause we have to be quick. Sorry. Are we assuming, are we assuming that teams are not going to be worried about finances? Like we're just throwing that out the window, right? Cause I don't want to give that. I would, excuse. I would no, Cause sometimes it matters. Then it might come up. I'll, I'll explain when it does. I would, but, and the other thing you have to factor in too is shortened off season. How much time is a new coach going to have with these players? You know, is it going to really help to have a new coach who shows up in the week later you're starting the season? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, uh, okay, so let's go through them. Just a couple interim situations. Cleveland, you were dead on. I thought John Beeline would be good. Busted really quickly. And so JB Bickerstaff is promoted as the interim coach. Are you okay just keeping him for this rebuild or do you want to? I mean, they are going to keep, they are going to keep him, right? He signed a three-year deal. They gave him a raise. I I don't know if JB Bickerstaff's the guy. We've seen him in this situation now two other times. It it hasn't seemed to work. I don't know that I feel confident it'll work in Cleveland because the roster stinks, but I would keep JB Bickerstaff. He seems like a pretty perfect guy before the next guy to me. I understand. And, And they just like flamed they like swung and missed badly so it's hard to like go back out there and it seems like the players like him he's an nba lifer like it, it doesn't seem like he'll rock too many boats it seems like he'll be able to challenge some guys so like i, I think jb bickerstaff is fine in that situation i agree okay so keep him this is one of the hardest ones for me the knicks looks like they're gonna hire somebody but should they mike miller's the interim coach he has a success as, as a g league coach at player development it seems like what they should be focused on but instead they're talking about Tibbs. They're talking about some other player coaches. Would you keep Mike Miller for a year or would you get looks for somebody else? I'll say this. I, if I had to gamble on it, I think Mike Miller is getting fired. Now that is me saying that without knowing who his agent is. If he's repped by CAA, then he probably will keep his job or Leon Rose, like whatever. I don't know that that's the case. I have no idea, but I would like to see Mike Miller keep his job because I think he, if you really do want to try to find guys like Nick Nurse, like you want to take guys that have a very diverse background. And now he doesn't have the kind of like basketball vagabond background, but Mike Miller was like a a college assistant and college head coach for his whole career since like 1989, you know, and he had been two places as a head coach in college and then high major assistant at Kansas state and, you know, played at a bunch of different or and coached a bunch of different spots until he kind of took a shot with, the Austin Toros and then goes right from being an assistant there to being the head coach of the Westchester Knicks. So that means like people respect him. Like I think he's a guy to give another chance to and see like, Hey, maybe we found somebody who's, you know, they're not just kind of mailing it in. They don't need a star. They're going to work really hard to develop guys. And and I, I think he's a guy that I would, I think they should keep. I don't think they will. I think they'll yeah, fire it doesn't him sound like they will. Um, my conclusion on him was I would only fire him if I saw like a clear upgrade, like into me, like Kenny Atkinson would be somebody who's more proven and similar. Thibs would likely be an upgrade. Whatever we think about Tom Thibodeau, like he is a good NBA head coach. He just kills his players. 
not ideal though for a young team. I don't know. RJ Barrett, he's the next Andrew Wiggins. You need Tom Thibodeau. Um, I didn't even mention Brooklyn. You expect Jock Vaughn to be fired, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, like I said, Brooklyn is the most interesting situation because not only do they have Durant and Kyrie Irving, but they also have a pieces to get another guy. And they keep talking about Brad Beal. Like, like again, I, I doubt it's going to happen unless the Wizards really flame out next year. But like Brooklyn is the one that I think people are beating down the door for. I, that's what I think. And they're going to have their pick of every candidate, unless someone doesn't want to coach Durant or Kyrie because it's a really tenuous situation. You get fired. But I think like, I don't know that anyone will make a move until Brooklyn does, right? Yeah, I, I that's like, it's rare to find a team that you theoretically could win the title next year. Right, this is similar to like the so Steve like Kerr, Lakers. right? The Knicks and the Golden State thing where- I was thinking more of like the Lakers because it's like, it's combustible because oh, okay. the stars are ornery, but like they could win the title. So you got to take your chance. Right, I agree, I agree with that. Um, okay, now these next three are sort of financially- um, considerations financial considerations in play because they're coaches that recently signed contracts um detroit dwayne casey is in the second of a i think a five-year deal what do you think in that situation i don't know i don't think dwayne casey is bad i don't really think dwayne casey is good i think we know who dwayne casey is he, he does also strike me as like a mike miller type in the sense that like if you can get a clear upgrade sure if you have to pay him a lot of money to go away it probably doesn't make a lot of sense his players really like him. He seems to really know how to run a staff. He's been around for a long time. Great comments on the riots and looting and Black Lives Matter stuff over the this past weekend. I like Dwayne Casey. I don't think there's – I don't think the Pistons need to make a change, if that makes sense. Like, there's no – No, I agree. There's no no urgency. Right. Like, who's going to do a better job than Dwayne Casey? They, they need to probably upgrade their front office before they need to, like – Yeah, they are in the process, apparently. Right. So, so I, I think it's one of the situations where Casey will get another year or two until they, like, you know, reshuffle and, and get their act together. And I think one thing I would say about the Pistons, it's a situation with like Dwayne Casey where you bring him in and like players really want to play for him and he can really develop them. There's no need to fire him and bring another coach in who you really like to fail right away. Like, and I'm saying if you think like, Hey, we need to get, I don't know, pick a good, pick one of your, your underutilized assistants and like Chris Finch, Chris Finch. If we have to get Chris Finch, cause if we don't get him, somebody else will get him fine. Right. Fine. Do it. But if you bring Chris Finch in and Blake Griffin's still not playing and you win 18 games the first time, like then does, do you have a lot of rope to make Chris Finch work? And then as the front office, do you have a lot of rope yourself because the guy that you hired stinks? Like, yeah, it's, it's that's tough. hard. It's, you know, you're tied with these coaches. Uh, similarly, first year into his tenure, Rocky start, Luke Walton and the Kings. They were so much, they were so like not good this year. Like, I Although thought they to, to their credit, I looked it up. They, started um 15 and 29 and they've gone 13 and 7 since yeah i'm key i I think luke walton's good i think luke walton's fine i think they have a good team around him i I, in terms of guys like you don't need to have him coach lebron like darren fox is a good young player buddy Heald's very very good They, they have a chance marvin bagley was injured to start the year like i don't see any reason to move on from luke walton unless you know the personal stuff in luke walton's life it seemed like that died out a little it bit. It did die out. But I'm saying, like, I don't see it. I think Luke Walton, obviously, I, I think there's, there are some things, some whispers about, like, Luke Walton as a coach and kind of how he handles himself. But I don't see any reason to move off of Luke Walton. I think he's done an okay job. I really do. They, they were dealt a bad hand early. When I say the finances, and you, and you know this, of course, but, you know, coaching salary doesn't go against your salary caps. So in theory, you could hire and fire a bunch of coaches, but you have to pay them out. And so you're paying Luke Walton for the next three or four years and then hiring a new coach. It gets very expensive. And also at a certain point, you don't, and we've talked about this. I I think we talked about this with Phoenix, right? You don't want to be the organization that fires a good coach, like Dave Yeager, fires a good coach, hires Luke Walton, who is held in pretty high regard, and then fires him again and and without getting a chance to like build up consistency. Because like I said, like if you look at the teams that are at the top of the heat, right, excluding situations where like LeBron goes to LA, but if you look at the Bucks, like that team's been together for a while, like the Raptors, like two years with Nick Nurse now, but like the Celtics, Stevens has been there a while, the Heat, the Pacers, they hired Nate McMillan off Vogel's staff and they're still in the mix. Like I think Brett Brown with the Sixers, like you got to let guys see things through to a certain point. So for Luke Walton, if you see like some real change with the young players they have, I told you before, I think the Kings are a team that you could credibly pick to make a jump and i don't think you can do that if you're firing your coach every year 
Yeah, I agree with that. Um, next one's interesting. So Minnesota, Ryan Saunders was hired as an interim last year. I would guess he got like a three-year contract. I couldn't even find yeah. it. But yeah. he's in the first year of that full season. Hasn't gone well. He's Gerson 34. Rose, Gerson Rosas hired him, right? Yeah, he, he retained him and hired him and gave him a new contract. Um, What do you think? I mean, this is a tough one, too. Gotta he, keep him. You, you gotta to. keep him. Right, because you make the deal for D'Angelo Russell. He gets, he's kind of injured. He doesn't play a whole bunch. Like, I, I just, again, like, if you're firing Ryan Saunders, you need to have, like, an actual direction. So, like, one, here's the thing. Why are you firing Ryan Saunders, right? The players like him. Carl Towns likes him. City seems to, you know, they love Flip Saunders. So, like, why are you firing Ryan Saunders for one? Now let's say you have a why, like, oh, he's not very good. Okay, you give me a bunch of reasons why he's not very good, right? Zan, like, Gerson Rosas sees all this stuff. He doesn't listen, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. Who are you hiring that, one, the locker room is going to, uh, like, acquiesce to right away, and two, is going to play the style that you want to play, and three, gets more of a chance with the foundation that you've built? Like, I, I just don't – again, like, Ryan Saunders, to me, the Timberwolves were very bad this year. I, I said before the year I thought they were going to be terrible – but I don't see that being Ryan Saunders' fault. They blew the team up in the middle of the year. Like they, they had no like actual starting point guard for a while. Uh, <laughs> I would fire him personally, just because I would never have hired him. It's like he he never shown anything. He, he just like the coach's son. Well, remember they played well and they played they played okay with they, him at the end know, of it, last year. They actually, I looked it up. Like they had a worse record than they did with Thibodeau. But you know the team was like imploding. But also, too, it, you know, they, they made the deal for, like, Malik Beasley and, like, Juan I, I, You're Gomez. right about that. Like, if he's Rose's guy, then you got to see it through. Gotta, right. And do, wouldn't you expect that he'd have been consulted on those moves? Like, didn't you get I, these no, guys he was. In? But I don't know if he's his guy because it's more like he's a popular interim coach. The, the guys like him. I thought it was more just, like, give him a year. So let me ask you this. If you fire Ryan's – okay, here's what I think would be a big domino. Let's try this on. You love conspiracy theories. Gerson Rosas, Rockets guy, D'Angelo Russell, like poor man's James Harden, whatever you want to call him. Like, hmm. would you fire Ryan Saunders to hire Mike D'Antoni if yeah. the Rockets don't pick up his, it don't give him a new contract? Which again, I, I don't think they're going to unless they win the title or something. But like, if that happens, well, like, that's not a reason to get rid of Ryan. D'Antoni's what, like 70 or something? He's and old. He's old. Right. He may not want to coach in Minnesota. That's, but let's say he wants to do it. That's why you would fire Ryan Saunders, right? To get a guy in to run that specific system with these guys. He's 69. I would, um, nice. I would, ha- I would fire him for, for actually an assistant. I, I think the team just doesn't have any cohesion. Like, I don't think Ryan Saunders is, is ready to be a professional coach. That's fair. Um, but also the lack of cohesion. Yeah, you can hold it against Ryan Saunders, right? But it's also tough when, like, I mean, how many they, they traded for a bunch of dudes? Like, how many games did those guys play for Ryan Saunders? Yeah, but this is what I would say. You're the coaching expert, but I'm the like armchair analyst. Ask me this, Tyler. How did I know Nick Nurse was going to be a good head coach? Having never coached, having never played, having just being like the loser in the basement. How did I know Nick Nurse? <laughs> Didn't he win a G League title? How did you know Nick Nurse was going to be a good coach? And I said it two years before he had been a head coach. It's just simple. I just look at the, I do two things. This is my secret to success. I look at the resume, of course. And look, Nick Nurse had been like a successful coach Everywhere he'd been, I think he'd been overseas and won a title. He'd been the G League and won a title. He joins the Raptors and his assistant. Their offense immediately jumps up. Time and time again, he had been proven success. And so when we mentioned Chris Finch, who's a assistant with New Orleans, same thing. He won a title coaching in Britain. He won a title coaching in Belgium. He comes over to the G League. He co- wins a title coaching in the G League. Nick Nurse actually won a title as an assistant under Chris Finch for like the British national team. Right. And so, so that's one thing I do. And that's what Ryan Saunders doesn't have any of that experience. And it's not required, but it's just a nice feather in your cap, of course. And then the only thing I do is I go on YouTube and I watch an interview with them, just one. And I just look like, are they articulate? Can they communicate their message well? Do they seem confident? Do they seem humble? And you can rule out a lot of guys like that. I'm telling you, there are a lot of NBA guys on NBA benches who do not come across like head coaches. Okay, but then like you end up doing that and then you rule out Quinn Snyder. And obviously like Quinn Snyder needed to go through a lot of stuff to get to where he is, but 
you but know, he Chase also Buford. he had a history. He had been a successful coach. He had, yeah, yeah. What about like Chase Buford, right? R.C. Buford's son. He's the Bucks G League team head coach. He I, has the I know him. I've year. seen him. I've seen him in a YouTube interviews. And he seems smart. But he also looked smart. like an insane guy in a post game interview where he was like bagging on officials, and his hair was like Albert Einstein's. Like, you know, I, I, I just want to believe what they're saying. Like, uh, I I call it. This is what I call it: the Don Draper test. <laughs> And it's more so in the NFL. Don't you mean you Dick Whitman? Like, or are we off? Is that a spoiler? You need to, it's more in the NFL because you need like that sort of leader of men vibe. But somebody made the point like Don Draper, like whatever he says in the meeting sounds really smart because he like has a deep voice and he has a chiseled jaw and he like sounds like he knows what he's talking about. There's a certain inherent confidence to what he's saying and you believe it. And he, oh, he's such a genius. And like a great coach tends to have that vibe to them. More so in the NFL than the NBA. The NBA is a little different. Um, you don't have to manage as big of a locker room or whatever. But there are some guys who just don't have it. Or some guys who are just hired because they're former players and they're likable, and but they just don't have that leader. Right, like De- like the Derek Fisher thing was, you know, like he gets hired and he just wasn't ready to be a coach. Like I, I think Jason Kidd, first go around with like Brooklyn, I think Jason Kidd is better than people think, but he's also, like you said, like, I think articulation is an issue, but even like Stan Van Gundy, right? Like people love Stan Van Gundy in the locker room turned on him in Orlando because they thought he was like hokey and that stuff happens. I think you're right in a certain sense that some guys just appear to be head coaches, right? You're Brad Stevens's where you just walk into the room and it seems like they take it over and they instantly get by because they understand people. Right. And and you know what? Like, I'm not saying like, I'm just basing it on like looks or appearance or even the way they talk. How did I know Kenny Atkinson would be a good coach if you, if you yeah, think he, he was fired. a good coach? He got fired, but I think he's a good coach, right? And I like championing that move. Um, and then the other thing I look at too, if I'm hiring a head coach, are guys like a Kenny Atkinson coming off, he was an assistant in Atlanta, you know, your buddy Taylor Jenkins coming off assistant for a good coach in Buttonholes, or both of them were. The coach who's like has his eye toward the horizon, you know, like, who is not, doesn't have the ego of being like, Hey, I, I want to, you know, I won my division 10 years ago and this is how I did it. And this is how I'll always do it. Like the guy who still has like that hunger still has the modesty to like embrace analytics is important, especially getting along with the front office and somebody who has like the work ethic. Like a lot of times when you're a 65 year old coach, you're kind of burnt out. Um, so I'd rather hire the 45 year old coach who still wants to go in 20 hours a day. That that certainly matters. Like, I think your work output is very important. I do think you're oversimplifying things a little bit, but I would. I'm agree. just waiting to be wrong about a coach, I'll, unless you count Kenny Atkinson. I thought he did a good job. I mean, you've been wrong about guys before, but I Impossible. think that, in, right. All right, you have one more for me, or no? I have two more, and they're the most interesting. I saved them for last. All right, hit me. Your hometown, Washington Wizards. I think it's going into the final year of. Brooks's contract. Yeah, a lot of excuses to make this year. You know, the the ninth seed, they didn't do badly, but would you keep him or is it time to start over? I wanted to fire him two years ago for playing Jan Mahimi in game seven against Kelly Olinick, but I think this is such a weird year for the Wizards, uh, whether or not they get to play again in Disney World or whatever ends up happening. Like you, John Wall is going to be back. You have Brad Beal just signed the extension. Tommy Shepard really likes Scott Brooks. It seems like they've made some pretty reasonable signings. Troy Brown actually looked like he took a little bit of a leap. I think that they're probably not going to win a title with anyone as a head coach. And I do really like how Scott Brooks coaches young guys but 7 million a year is really steep. And I don't, I I mean, I could go either way on this, but I think just with how weird the situation is with wall and Beal, I think it's probably better to have continuity and just let Brooks coach out the contract. And then he's probably not the guy, right. But you're probably also like, I don't know that there's anyone readily out there, especially with how wall is going to be coming off injury. Like, you know, he's going to be chippy, you know, he's going to want to like, I think you need Brooks to really like, manage the team if that makes sense and I, I don't know that I want anyone else to come in there because if you do it incorrectly then Beal's going to want to get traded and then you're just screwed anyway yeah it's a situation continuity could probably help getting John Wall back you know it's going to be hard to like teach a new dog old tricks or whatever opposite I don't know that anyone is coming into Washington 
and being successful next year, right? Like I'm not saying if let's say Scott Brooks is their ceiling is they win 43 games. I don't know. There's anybody that their ceiling goes from like 43 to 50, right? I still think the team is built to do that. I, I would fire him personally. Cause I think I, I just don't trust. I'd rather get like a young guy. I, I, maybe it's my confidence in hiring coaches that it'll probably be, you know, bust by next time this year, but this time next year. I mean, I told uh, you I thought he was going to get fired anyway, right? Like I told you I thought he was going to get fired because it just didn't really make sense to keep him. Like at this point, like, you know who Scott Brooks is, right? And this is always my argument, especially in college sports. Like if you know, like if you're, let's say you're an SEC football team, right? And you know your goal is to beat Alabama. Well, if like after year two, you've won five games and you're not getting a good recruiting class, like you're not going to be Alabama. So if your goal is to try to beat them, you need to get somebody else, right? And I think that's probably a fair argument with Scott Brooks. Like we know who he is. Yeah. And I'd like to, and I, I still do believe I have the ability, like, look at this guy. Couldn't I give you an example of a coach that I think is not ready to be hired yet, but I would look at in the future. Um, Go for it. There's two. I said the two things I look at. One are like interviews. So a guy who passes that test to me, like Wes Unsell Jr., who's on Denver right now, his dad was like a famous Wizards player. Yeah, and in their um, front office for a long time. Yeah, and you watch an interview with him. He's like extremely smart and, and like competent. He went to Brown. He's been with Denver for a few years. They've done well. Defensive-minded coach. I'm like... I try, and he's like, what I'm looking for, you know, the 40 year old guy who still has this, you know, future ahead of him. Um, to me, I'm like, that's the kind of guy I want to, if I was a new GM, I want to hire my own guy. I want somebody that I could bank on for the next five years. And I'm 80% sure it's not Scott Brooks. So I would take that chance. Um, and then there are the candidates like, have you heard of this guy, Nate Borkren? Yeah. Let me give you an example of his resume. Um, he was Nick Nurse's assistant in the D League, won the title with the together. Then he goes to his own team. He's coached for three different G League teams: Dakota, Iowa, and then Bakersfield. Listen to his record, okay? He takes over Dakota. They're nineteen and thirty-one. He shows up. They they're twenty-nine and twenty-one. So he won ten more games. Next year, he takes over a team that had gone fourteen and thirty-six. He takes them to 31 and 19 that next year. So, you know, plus 17 win total. Next year, same thing. You take a team that won 24 games, makes them win 34 games the next year. Like, this guy has done it three separate times. He must be a good coach in some level, unless, like, these are all, like, unusual circumstances. Um, he did get fired, though. Like, he got fired in 2017. Yeah, it was weird. And he doesn't come across well in interviews. He's, like, a little nerdy guy. But... He got fired by Phoenix. I, I tend to think Phoenix doesn't know what they're doing. This guy like has the mark, and now he's on Toronto staff again with Nick Nurse. He's like an up tempo offensive coach. I'm like, that's exactly the kind of resume I'm looking for in terms of on paper. And I'm like, I want a bet kind of guy. Um, but let me give you the last one because okay? this is the most interesting one. Sorry, I, I just wanted to cut you off for one second. Like, the one thing I will say with the Wizards is Tethyonsis is a big, like, consistency guy. He worked with the Caps, like, didn't make any changes, like, kept guys around, and, like, they won. I don't think he's going to fire Scott Brooks. I don't think so. But it could happen. It, I just want to say that. Like, the owner is just – he doesn't care that much about the Wizards. He's paying a lot of money. Like, I think – and I think well, fans like myself tend to be trigger-happy with firing Right, coaches. and if, if Wall and Beal like Scott Brooks, which – We've seen they do. Scott Brooks shaved his head for charity. Everybody, hey, it's great. Like Scott Brooks. I think if like if they had hired, uh, I can't remember the dude's name from Denver as the GM. Wow, my mind is. Oh yeah, Tim uh, Connolly. Connolly. Yeah. If they had hired Connolly, like then I think it's much more likely. But Tommy Shepard being part of the organization, I think this was all part of it. And we'll see in a year. Like if Shepard's, if Brooks and Shepard are both bad next year, then I think it's just wholesale changes. You know what I mean? Okay. Anyway, sorry. No, Go you're right. Oh, I, I think not to, to stem off that. Like, I do think fans get a little trigger happy. There is value in con- continuity. And two examples of that in the NFL, I was just thinking about Bill Cower, great coach, immediately successful, but he had like a dip. They went seven and nine one year, six and 10 the next year. And a lot of people are like, is, is, he's done time to fire him. They kept him. And then they bounced right back and they ended up winning a Super Bowl. Um, and then same with Sean Payton for New Orleans. Like a lot of people thought Sean Payton should get fired because they thought he had like hit the wall and, and like the team wasn't making the playoffs. They stuck with him and he ended up 
you know, he had like two or three, seven and nine seasons. Right. And then yeah, he, he had three in a row, seven, nine, seven and nine, seven and nine. Um, a lot of that was like bounty gate or whatever, like kind of screwed them over. Right, he but, missed a whole year. Like they had a bunch of fines and stuff. Yeah. But then they stuck with him and then he, he bounced back. Uh, I don't think that's Scotty Brooks though. Okay. So the last one, another team close to your heart, close to your current location, Brett Brown. Does he deserve to go? What does he need to do? Can he save his job? Does he need to save his job? I'm going to give you a a super wishy-washy answer. I think it's TBD. Like, I think what happens to them in Disney World with, like, a healthy Ben Simmons and a healthy Joel Embiid, like, they could win the title. Like, they could, right? Like, those guys are rested, like, play every day, whatever. I think that – I think his result matters the most to the Sixers. And I don't – I like Brett Brown, man. I think he's a good coach. I, I think that the the shortcomings of the team in the front office, which is mostly Josh Harris, like that belongs to them and not Brett Brown. And ultimately, I think like he gets criticized for having like the wrong guys on the court at the end of the game. But like, who, who are you going to put there? Like, oh, yeah, like Furkan Korkmaz, the dude is like, he's OK. Shake Milton, like he's a G League guy, like and they're going to turn him into a starter. Fine. But like Brett Brown's going I mean, Brett Brown's going to have won like mid fifties games, like two years, three years in a row. Like that's pretty darn good with a team that is like deeply flawed in its construction. And I think that like that should count for something. If I bet, had to bet on it, I bet he's getting fired, but I don't, I don't, I don't think they know yet. I really don't. I think it really matters. I, don't, what I think you're right. And, and, and nor should they know yet. Cause it's like, this is the one team that's in the playoffs right now. We don't know how it's going to end, but what do you think? TBD based on what? So they're the sixth seed right now. Like, do they need to, I don't think they need to win around as the sixth seed, but what if they lose four? Oh, what if they lose four one? What do they need to do? Even if it's with as weird as this is, if they lose in the first round, he's getting fired. I would say it's a hundred percent if they lose in the first round. So they, right now they're matched up against Boston. Like you think they're expected to win that series or they should expect to win that series? No, I don't think so. I, I think the Sixers are, are very much in that second tier of teams. Like I think Milwaukee is in the tier by themselves. I think people think the Sixers can be in that tier. I don't agree with it. Like it doesn't, I, I just don't think their team tracks like that. Maybe I'm wrong. They almost beat the Raptors last year. They were really good defensively in the playoffs. They played a lot differently. Maybe they're able to channel that again. But I think the expectations for the Sixers are that they're the second best team in the East. And you know that I don't believe. I think the Celtics are better than them. I think Toronto is better than them. And I think in the right series with the guys healthy, I think Indiana is better than them, personally. But I don't think that at this point in time, with the clock ticking on Embiid and the extensions signed and all that stuff, I just don't think Brett Brown gets the benefit of the doubt. I don't think he's going to be allowed to run it back, even though he should. They had injury issues, but like to me, I think they have. He has to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Wow, and that's what I think. Well, I think that they're the most interesting, probably team in the East, just from like an upside downside point of view. Because it's like the upside is like, maybe they make the finals. Like they have the talent, and the downside is they lose in round one, and Brett Brown gets fired, and and maybe Embiid gets traded or something. Like there's so much potential downside there if they flop in the playoffs. Although I think, you know, the COVID thing just gives them such a built-in excuse and say like, this isn't a real playoff. doesn't matter. Give them another year to, you know, rehab or whatever. Maybe. I mean, but (sighs) I don't, I really don't know. I could go either way on this one. I, I would lean towards he's getting fired. I don't personally think he should get fired. I think there's a big stabilizing force in Brett Brown. I think he's very, you want to talk about guys that like, they enunciate clearly. They're likable. Like we talked a lot about Steve Kerr two weeks ago. I think Brett Brown has a lot of those Steve Kerr type qualities where he gets really. It. I don't think he enunciates. He has that thick accent. Well, no, no, no. I, I just mean in terms of like, like sorry, his communication, his like, communication yeah. is really good. That's what I think. Like he, I think he, he sounds un- like a dumb guy to me. If I'm using my like Don Draper test. Yeah. He, and he also like, it's, they always get him after games. His hair's all messed up. He's always like sweaty or he's wearing like a, an unkempt sweatsuit. Like, but I also think like there were times where Brett Brown was like, they were losing a hundred games in a row. And right. like, this dude was just there to like dive on the grenade. Like, but I think, like I said, I think his communication, I think his understanding of like locker room dynamics and players is really quite good. Despite what Jimmy Butler has to say, I think he's been dealt. Do you remember? Surely you've seen the wire. Have we talked about this? Obviously, me. I, I've seen the wire. I don't know what you're about to say, but do you remember that? Like, at the end of the day, like with Lieutenant Daniels, his wife said, like, you can't lose if you don't play. Right. I think Brett Brown has been dealt a hand that is unwinnable. 
Like, I just think that he's in a situation with, in a city with a team of guys that doesn't fit, that think they're better than there are. And every single time he's been thrown for a loop, like they trade for Jimmy Butler, who's so hard to get involved in, like he gives him more ball screen stuff. And then all of a sudden he gets crushed on JJ Reddick's podcast. And like, he has Joel Embiid, who people love as this cartoon character, but you have to hold on so tight to make sure he doesn't do something stupid. You've got Ben Simmons, who like, doesn't want to shoot a jump shot. So you've got to figure it out. And I honestly think Brett Brown has done a pretty freaking good job with all of that. Yeah. You know, you're right about the situation, but I would wonder, is he, cause he has a lot of weight in the organization. Is he making the decisions or is Elton no. Brand making this decision? No. The Josh Harris is making the decisions. The, like, the, yeah, the who's only... signing, who's giving Tobias Harris $40 million? Josh who's, Harris. Who's giving, who's giving Al Horford a four-year contract? No, so bad. Al, Elton Brand is there to talk to agents. He's a very well-respected guy. Players love Elton Brand. Like I said, I, I think I've talked about this before. Like he's he's super well-respected around the league. I think he'll get another job. And I think he'll take another job because I think he's getting so much crap for the Sixers when it's it's all coming from above. Like both he and Brett Brown are not the ones that are ultimately like signing off on things. Like yeah, they might say like yeah, sure, Al Horford. Like let's give him a contract, but like they're not signing checks. Like they're not the ones running the analytics department. Like. It is, it is Josh Harris and his group. They are the ones making the calls, not the coaching staff. You know, one thing I think the Sixers really miscalculated on, among others, Tobias Harris and Al Horford, you know, you let J.J. Redick go because you, you upgrade to Josh Richardson. We don't, even, we don't even know, by the way, if J.J. Redick would have resigned, by the way. Just yeah. want to say that. Okay, well, you know, in your head, you're like, okay, Josh Richardson, better defender, will be able to hit threes, upgrade. He just might not be as good as they thought. Like he he's hitting under thirty three percent from three. Like, like maybe he's not he was just really a knockdown good in shooter, right? Like he, if he's just like an average starter, below average starter, it's like you really need, you know, given the makeup of the team and you mentioned, like you need at least one knockdown shooter out there. And if he's not even like average, then you're like doubly screwed over. Listen, I agree with that. I a hundred percent agree. Like, and again, that's the problem when you're. I remember. I recall way back when, when I was working in the Sixers organization and Brett Brown was his first year there, a big deal of him signing a deal with Hinky was that like, it was fully guaranteed. Cause like he knew what he was getting himself into. Like he knew how bad the team was going to be. And he wanted to make sure like, Hey, if you want to fire me after two years, that's great. But I want all my money to take on this undertaking. And I think that now it's weird. He sort he outlasted Sam Hinky. They, they clearly like him. Like they did like him, but at, at some point, like you just kind of get to be the scapegoat, right. For a situation that you are a huge part of, but didn't necessarily create, but also didn't necessarily better. And I, I think that's what we're going to see with Brett Brown. That it's just, at some point it's just like the Yankees fired Joe Torre. You know what I mean? Like it's just time. Like it's well, And also I wonder about this, like if you're in GM or you're running this organization and you think you need to make a move, it's certainly easier to fire the coach than it is to break up the team. But which shoe do you think should drop first? If you think, hey, we need to trade Embiid and we need to fire Brett Brown, which goes first? You know, like should a new coach, should they give it a chance with Brett Brown and, and then remake the team? We're talking about if they like you know, get swept in the first round or something that they clear it's not working. It's just, but the problem is like you're, you're paying $150 million to... Embiid and 150, whatever it is, you're paying like $700 million to like Embiid, Simmons, Harris, Horford. So like you're paying Brett Brown like 5 million. Like it's just not happening. Like you're attached to these players. You're not going to blow it up to build the team that Brett Brown wants. He doesn't, he hasn't earned that. He's not Greg Popovich. Like I don't know how many coaches have actually earned that. Like I feel like none, you know, like, I, I mean, I just feel like none. And I think that that's the biggest deal is like the Sixers made their bed and now they have to lie in it. And I think ultimately what's going to end up happening is Brett Brown gets kicked out of bed. Like he just gets kicked out of the house. Cause it's, well, you know, it's scary about being stuck too. It's going th- in terms of payroll on the books. They have 147 million on the books for next year. Number one in the league. They have 139 million the year after that. They have 130 million on the books in 2022, which is by far the number one in the league. So they're kind of like committed to this team. And, you know, they might get off the hook too. Cause like, here's the thing. If the salary cap does drop next year, and this is a conversation for another day, but like if the salary cap drops next year, they might be able to amnesty somebody and maybe you amnesty Horford. And it's not even that Horford's not good. It's just that he's in a really bad situation and he's old. So if you're looking at it, like you're not going to amnesty Embiid, you're not going to amnesty Simmons, probably not going to amnesty Tobias Harris. Although that actually might be, because his contract's longer but only a year longer but that's my point so like they might get a chance to 
get a little bit more flexibility. But yeah, at the end of the day, you're exactly right. Zan. Like, what do you think that like conversation was behind the scenes? Like, hey, we're going to offer Al Horford four years. He's 33. I think they wanted to get him off Boston. I think they thought that he was the only guy that could credibly guard Joel Embiid. And I think that, I think they misjudged that because Mark, Marc Gasol can do it, right? Like Marc Gasol did a pretty good job last year. Embiid was also like, he had bubble guts and he had sinus infection, whatever. He had all these things, but like Marc Gasol did a pretty good job and Embiid was in fact effective sometimes and not effective others. But I think that they, they were really worried about having to go through Boston. We've heard over and over again, they're not super worried about Milwaukee. They're just not. And I think that's fine. I think they should be, but who knows? I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not on staff there, but I think like that's the biggest thing that they thought was like, we get this guy off Boston it clears our road through the East and he can help us because we've been so bad when Embiid's been off the floor. So now we have our backup five and he can't guard Embiid, right? We kill two birds with one stone. Well, that, that's why I would love to see that matchup three, six, because you weakened Boston's center position, at least like there, that's like their weakest spot. So all of a sudden, if you attack them with Embiid and Horford, like, is that your edge? Can that win a series? I don't know. It doesn't seem like the right way to win a series these days. But, but also, we haven't, we've seen, and it seems so long since we saw real basketball. It's been like 80 days or something. But the Sixers were playing without Horford in their closing lineups. I think everyone just assumed that Horford would be the four. And like we watched them play like Shake Milton and Corkmaz with like Ben Simmons and Bede and Josh Harris or like Tobias Harris. Like we watched games without Al Horford on the floor. So it'll be interesting to see. What happens? I, I I don't know. I think Brett Brown is probably on his way out the door, but the Sixers could get hot. And I think if they make the Eastern Conference Finals, I think that he will keep his job for a year. Um. Well, we went super long, but I appreciate it. Not super I, long. Only an hour and five minutes. We've gone longer before. Oh, really? We could talk for another 30 minutes then. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. But it is nice to talk basketball and not worry about the real world right now. Yeah, as soon as we unclick this recording, I'm going to have to go back to worry about it. Also, our baby is crying downstairs, so I might want to waste more time. But as usual, at Zan underscore Ellison on Twitter, uh, watch his other show, cha- or watch, listen to his other show, Challenge Accepted. There's MTV still, Challenge Accepted. That, that counts as sports, right? Uh, it's definitely sports. It's the most, if you ever watch it, I'm trying to get you in on this show. It's the, the most athletic people you'll ever see. That's They're amazing. So intense. They're definitely juicing. Like there's no way CT and Johnny Bananas bodies can keep up this pounding year after year after year. Those guys are old, bro. They're Al Horford of the challenge. I'll tell you something. Just one last plug for that. Now that you mentioned that we have time. There's a lot. I watch a lot of bad TV. That's just bad TV. And it's fun to watch like bachelor love is blind or whatever. The challenge is a show that hits both boxes. It's like guilty pleasure TV and it's also genuinely good. So I would recommend people, if you haven't seen challenge, like whatever, get into it next season, whenever you have to do, there's about, you know, 40 seasons all told. You could really, you know, spend a month getting into it. And then when you're done with the challenge, watch 90 day fiance. That's another bad, good show. No, but that's, uh, no, that's just a bad, I mean, it's a guilty pleasure show. Amazing like really bad. TV. Amazing TV. <laughs> it's really okay. bad. Like the challenge is genuinely a good show that you should be proud of watching. I, I, I hear you. I just, I, I don't have the time to do it. It's just, it's too much of an undertaking, but again, CT 39 years old and just out there kicking guys butts uh, and uh, email the show, Sandra at gmail.com. We will be back next week. Hopefully more information on the NBA, maybe some more hoop talk. Maybe we'll break down. We'll do some X and O's talk or something. I don't yeah, know. I'd we'll, love to hear your thoughts. Cause you've been, you know, you've been studying this stuff. You're been, I go. have watched some film of late, which is good. Cause it's, I, I was trying to watch some film to like ramp back up into it. Cause I, I, I truly feel like it's been so long that I honestly don't remember. You're going to ask me like, who do you think can win the title? We talked about it with Blake and I was well, yeah, like, you forgot Tim Conley's name. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's really bad, but we'll be back next week. We appreciate everybody who listens. And, uh, Zan, as always, it's been a pleasure. (laughs) The Underdog Sports Army. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news. (laughs) 